What if you were able to sit down for lunch with some of the greatest leaders in the world? What would you ask? What would they say? Welcome to the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where you're invited to join us in learning the spiritual principles behind big success. Here's your host, Mike Lynch. I think every leader knows they're wired to do some things more than other things. But have you ever thought you were a genius at something? Have you ever thought maybe there's a way I can find out in the space of work, what is my working genius? What am I great at and what am I competent at and what is just a working frustration? Rather than spending years trying to figure it out, I think there's an answer. Welcome to episode 155 of the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where we sit down with some of America's greatest leaders and find out how they have learned to lead with their faith out in front. If I've never met you before, my name is Mike, and it is beyond my honor to be on this journey with you, is hopefully we're all helping each other, but I can help you in a small way, be the leader that God created you to be in the space and the place that he has put you. Well, today is a special one. Today is a day that I got to sit down with somebody that I've read nearly every book they've put out. Probably I think the first one I read was Five Dysfunctions of a Team. Then I read The Advantage. I read I'll Deal Team Player. You name it, I read it. He's an organizational genius, 13 best-selling books, one of the best-known leaders in the world through his group, The Table Group, on organizational health. He sold over 8 million copies of his books, translated into 30 language. But his newest work, The Working Genius, might be the most interesting one yet. The assessment is unbelievable, but today... This conversation I get to have with Pat Lincioni is special, and I have looked forward to it for so long, and he exceeded every expectation I had of what kind of human he was, but just what kind of amazing leader he was as well. I just, I'm so excited for you to listen. And this is going to be one you're going to want to share. We talk about the working genius. We talk about leadership. We talk about life. We talk about so many things that I think will apply to you. You're going to want to share it with friends. You're going to want to leave a rating and review, but I don't want to hesitate any longer. So this is one I've been waiting on for a long time. I want you to pull up your chair. And I want you to listen in to my conversation with Pat Lincioni and listen to all the incredible stuff he has to share. It's going to be a fun one. Well, Pat, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of Lynch with a Leader. It is an honor to have you. Well, as our friends at Chick-fil-A say, it's my pleasure, and it really is. I'm, I'm excited to be here. Well, listen, I have already been through Chick-fil-A twice today, so I have heard it <laughs> twice. That makes three times today. I know that the, the Pat Lencioni that we know now, there was a time when you were getting out of college and you were going to apply the business trade. Did you ever get what it would what it would mean to be where you are now when when did all this begin to you go oh my gosh god is going to use me in a big way when did that start hitting you ah uh, i think tomorrow maybe <laughs> it's you know it's like the frog in the pot of boiling water that it's hard to notice you know mm-hmm. it happened one thing at a time i'm so grateful to him that that it it happened but I think I've always just taken kind of one step at a time and he opens doors and, and it's by accident or when I say by accident, I mean, I'm not, I don't know what I'm doing. He does. He's Mm -hmm. doing it. I do know that years ago when I first got invited to Willow Creek to speak, they didn't know I was a believer. I just had a book that they thought would be neat. 
And when I went there and, and stood there on stage and told people that I was a Jesus following Catholic, they were, they were like, Whoa, we didn't know that. And then stuff started happening. I started meeting all these pastors and preachers and did people I didn't even know. And then I got involved in the Catholic church and all these evangelical churches and pastors and other people in the business world. I had no idea what was in store. And so I'm just taking it one day at a time. And he outdoes anything I could imagine. I know that sounds for people that aren't used to listening to Christian stuff, that, that could sound, it's just darn true. You know, it's true. That's <laughs> it's right. Just darn true. I could never have engineered any of this. And of course, that's just how it works. I know it began with a risk. It began with you taking a risk to leave something comfortable, to do something that was uncomfortable. What are you What are you glad you didn't know about that risk? What are you glad that you almost had a blind, as Tim Elmore says in his eight book, Eight Paradoxes of Great Leadership, which is so good. What was a blind spot that was a good blind spot? And you're glad you didn't know maybe what you were going to go through during that period of starting something new? Wow. That's a great question. I'm not very good at looking backward, Mm. um, which is, which is a flaw, which is a flaw because it it can kind of hamper my gratitude sometimes too. And I I've come to learn that that's associated with some wounds in my life and always being like, I've always been like, what's next? What's next? You never rest. And I know a lot of your coaches can relate to that. That's right. And it's not good because every day we're giving, (laughs) we're supposed to rejoice in the day. So I think I'm kind of glad that I didn't know what it was going to be like to, um, to fall. Mm. And, and I don't mean in some I didn't know how hard it would be to let go of worldliness. And of course it's a daily thing, Mike, but, but uh, I didn't know that how I would have to empty myself. I remember Mike Singletary. I I met him years ago, you know, the, the linebacker and the NFL coach and, and he has a cross, he wears a cross on the outside of his shirt. I don't know what he's doing these days, but um, he, a reporter asked him, why do you wear that cross? have you been like that your whole life? He goes, Oh no, no, no. And they said, when did you do it? He goes, after we won the Super Bowl when I was on the bears and they said, why, what happened? He goes, well, I just realized I'd climbed the ladder and I was, it was up against the wrong wall. I was Mm -hmm. pursuing the wrong thing. And I think all of us have to have that experience, whether it's subtle, whether it's gradual, whether it's immediate, but I came to the conclusion that a lot of the success I had wasn't going to work and that there was something else. And God gradually brought me through that. It was dark, but it was, I, if you'd told me what I was going to go through to realize that, I don't know that I could have done it. It's so funny. And, and I know when Tim wrote the book, Eight Paradoxes, it's so, so good. I got to, I got to go out and get it. Oh I don't my know gosh. That. It is, it is your, your book with the eight six working geniuses and, and his eight paradoxes are two of the best books I've read in years and years. It, and what he said was, he said, there's, it takes the paradoxes vision and you got to have great vision but you're going to have to have some blind spots or oh, you won't do it. You won't so do much. it. Yeah. You won't do it. There's there, you, there's you, there's just too many things you're going to stand between. There's just things you don't need to know when you're getting into something and you're taking a risk. And now you've got out some of the greatest books. I was just on the phone with a city manager here in our community. And I was telling him what I was doing this afternoon. And he said, I wonder if he ever dreamed that a city in Ackworth, Georgia and a church in Ackworth, Georgia, that every one of their employees would have gone through ideal team player. Both groups would have run five. They would, they would have talked about the book on, on trust. And I wonder if he ever dreamed how far his reach would go when you hear that. Yeah, absolutely not. What's it make you feel when you hear that? I think it stretches my, um, my emotions beyond what I'm capable of kind of handling in my life right now. You know, it's funny because just last week, the Barnes and Noble store in the the flagship store in New York city had a, had a, a display in the window of my, of, of my new book, the six types of working genius. And it had these mannequins reading books and sitting there and, and my books all over the place. And they sent us a picture and I looked at it and I was, and my, my son's girlfriend said to me, how does that make you feel? Mm. And I said, I don't, she goes, cause I think I would be pretty overwhelmed. And I thought, you know, I don't know that I can even quite understand it or take it in right now. How about that? The funny thing is, Mike, 
23, 24 years ago when I wrote my first book, I was in that same store looking at the books in the religion section because I was trying to tell my publishers what I wanted my first book to look like. And I went over and I found a missile, like a, a, a hymnal, a really plain one. I said, I want it to look like that. And so today that the fact that in that store, as I walk out in the window would be my 13th book is crazy. I'm going to tell you something though, Mike, I'm, and I, this is, this is absolutely sincere. I am so glad. I don't think it's me. Mm, I'm so glad mm, to know that I'm mm. a vessel. I think that when people get really successful and they think maybe, maybe I am, maybe I am special. That that's no human being is meant to be able to re- the fact that I now at, at, at my age can go, Oh, God brought this about. I got to be a vessel. He lets me use talents. He gave me, it's all a gift. And I give it right back to him and I just shepherd it. It's so less heavy than if I tried to actually uh, make this about me. But what what tools have you put in place to keep you in that frame of mind? What are the safeguards, the guardrails you've put up to protect yourself from going there? Because it's natural human instinct to love all that. And it's not all bad. But when it gets inside of us, it is. What are, what are some guardrails you've put up, Pat, to keep yourself from going down that road? Well, it, it, it's, it's, I think it's a great question. It's a daily thing. Mm. You know what I mean? We are, it's like, I can't do it something annually or semi-annually to do that. It's a daily thing. And it starts with waking up in the morning now and literally right when I wake up, I just go to God's presence and I just, mm. I spend time. I, I rarely now get out of bed right when I wake up. Cause I let myself be with God in bed for a while. And then my wife and I do a prayer app. We did it this morning. I'm usually in the shower and she comes in and, and she, and she, we, we turn it on. It's called amen. And mm-hmm. we listen to the gospel readings of the day. We're Catholic. So there's a gospel reading and some readings. And then we reflect on it. We do what's called Lexio Divina. I, I try to pray at three o'clock every day and, uh, and pray at night. So that's just to keep me, you know, the guardrails keeping me from going too far outside. I know that when I wander far and my, my prayer life diminishes, um, I feel it. Mm. Bad things happen. This is no, this is no Gnostic battle we're in, you know, this is a real thing. That's right. And so I can't, I don't want to wander far from him. So that's what I do. It's a kind of a daily and then, of course, then the Sabbath and going to mass and receiving the sacraments. I'm Catholic and and doing all those things and having friends like you and people like I meet that I have and, you know, fellowship with all of that makes a difference. But for me, if I don't if I go a whole day, if I were to go a whole day without even putting myself in his presence, I would be really off. Mm. So I hope so that good. answers the question. No, that very much answers the question. You know, it's interesting through your work with Table Group and all you've done through the years, you've sat with so many of the greatest leaders in our country. What's been a takeaway? What's something you've learned being across the desk from them, not being in their company, but across the desk when they're vulnerable? What's something you've learned from them? They are so not different than anybody else. They're human. That's good. They are human. And the same things that would make for a happy person and a contented person and a peaceful person applies to them as much as anybody else. And none of these people at the end of the day would tell you that their acclaim, their achievements, their – some of them don't know it. I've, I've worked with leaders, but none of them are happy because of their achievements, because at the end of the day, whether you're running a, a body shop of 12 mechanics or a company of, of 50,000 employees, you're sitting around with real human beings one on one having conversations and influencing their lives. So I think what I would say to people that are curious about this, it would be the same thing a football coach That's right. that you're like whether you're the football coach of a high school or a college or a pro team or a manager, it comes down to I'm having conversations with with human beings and it it's about getting things done. Mm. And and all this the TV and the you know and the 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 bookstore the 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 thing in the window of the bookstore none of that matters to amounts to anything. There we're mm. just human beings, and uh, and and God is the only thing that makes it make sense. You know, I heard you tell Carrie Newhoff in in a great interview you did with Carrie. You said everyone just wants to be known and loved. Yeah, that's a powerful 
statement. What changes about us as a leader, whether we're leading a department, whether we're leading a team, we're a coach leading a team, a principal leading a school, a superintendent leading a district, a parent leading their home. What changes about us when we walk into every conversation, knowing that the person on the other side of us at the end of the day just wants to be known and loved? What changes about us if we lead that way? Oh gosh, I think the only answer to that is everything, right? It's like it's like turning it turning it 180 degrees. It's like and when and we all forget that. I forget it. I mean, every day, you know, forgive us our trespasses. We trespass every day. And I forget it. I deal with people and I think I'm trying to get something done and and they stand in the way or they're just a and then you go, "Wait a second. That's a human being, a child of God. One day we're all going to die." Oh, wait a second. There's more going on here than I thought. Mm-hmm. And whether it's cutting a player from your team, a pro team, or, or firing somebody or giving them performance feedback or whatever it is, they are somebody's child. And if we remember that it changes everything. Um, and I will just say, we're having this conversation. I forget it too. Yeah. I forget it. Yeah. We all do. I mean, you're a pastor. Yeah. And sometimes you're like, just forget it. Yeah. Yeah, we forget it because at the end of the day, I'm a pastor, but we but it is a business. I mean, we have we have employees and we have people that come and we have people that come with problems and we have people that come that are hard to get along with and all the stuff that everybody else deals with. That's good. And, and when I heard you say it, I'm like, man, if we could just remember that going into the conversation. I love that you said that. You said, I'm a pastor, but we have to remember it is a business. I think for all the Christian leaders listening to this, if you run a company, it should be like, oh yeah, it's a business. But remember, it's 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 just a ministry. That's good. That's good. Oh man, you know? that's so good. And your coaches that are listening to this, at the end of the day, forget about what the announcers say and all this crazy stuff they talk about, like legacy and everything else. At the end of the day, it's a ministry and you're making a difference in the in in it, like the guys' lives on your team. That's so good. That is, I have a pro scout every Monday at the end of our call. And we were talking about our college baseball coach, pro scout Bible study Then the week. And he's a, he was MLB scout of the year last year. And he leans in and we've got a whole platform of zoom, all these faces, all these little boxes. And he leans in and he said, don't ever forget. You are a minister that happens to be dressed as a pro baseball scout. Beautiful. And you're just stuck in the stands next to that parent you're going to do a home visit with that kid. You're a college baseball coach. That's what you look like, but you're just a minister in disguise. And man, it is such a reminder. What would you tell people? And man, you, Pat, you, you have written some of the world's greatest books and they have been my back for years from five dysfunctions of a team to motive to advantage. The only one I ever ever had to explain to my wife when I ordered getting naked, I had to say, (laughs) now listen, I just want you to know you don't need to turn me into anybody. This is this is a legit book here. What well, you know you- what I learned about that book from somebody from your part of the world down there, which I love. They said, no, there's a difference between getting naked and getting naked. So it's getting naked. Naked is in the Bible, not naked. So anyway. Right. <laughs> yeah, I heard him describe it as N-A-double-K by God ID. That's when you're naked. All right. So, so for people that go. Well, I need to check my faith at the door. Pat, I appreciate this, but this is, you know, Mike gets paid to tell people to lead with their faith out in front. What would you tell a business leader, a coach, about the importance of their faith bleeding into what they do Monday to Saturday? What would you say? Well, I would say, first of all, and I loved your story about the, I I wrote down minister in disguise. Mm Gosh, because we're all called to be, you know, priests in the line of Melchizedek, right? Mm, that's and, right. Um, and and so in the world and but not of the world, baseball uniform on, ministry underneath it, right? I love that. And what I would say is no, no, no. Be wise about how you bring it and know who you're talking to. Mm. Jesus cured some, he didn't say, Hey, you want to be cured? Well, first do this. He cured people. And then said, now go sin no more. And now I want to teach you. And they followed him. Sometimes you feed a person. Sometimes you give them, sometimes you do something, you serve them, but you always know there's a reason for that. And you're willing to, what did Peter say? You know, be, be prepared to share the 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 joy that that's right. The hope within you. Yeah. And in today's gospel reading, 
in every Catholic church in the world, it was the the John the Baptist when they said, "Is there? Should we wait for another? That's you right. know, or is it you?" And he says, "You know, go tell him this and all this, and he, and and tell people, you know, I, not to be ashamed, you know, not to be afraid to speak up for me." Mm, mm. I, I, I did a terrible job of paraphrasing. No, you're, you nailed it. You nailed it. So that it's hard because you can stand up there and say, and I pray about it. So I'm like, God, do you want me to talk about you right now? Or, or, or is this, I, I never want to say no, if that's what you want for me, but I also don't want to force it in that moment where it might not be the right time, mm. but I'm always willing to. And you know, what's funny, Mike, and it's fun to tell a pastor this, man, I was once giving a talk at one of America's biggest companies. And they said to me, it was a technology company. And they said, don't say the G word, Pat. And I thought, well, I'm not going to talk about Google. I mean, they're one of your competitors. <laughs> and they were like, no, that's not the G word. They said God. And I said mm-hmm. to them, and I was like, what do you say? And I said, wait a second. First of all, I'm not going there to proselytize. I'm not. But I am who I am. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to edit out a part of who I am. I'm here to talk about teamwork and, and, and employee engagement. And that's what I'm going to talk about. But I am who I am, and I can't promise you anything. And they mm-hmm. said, oh, okay. And I said two things during my talk. I said. I don't think God intends us to to hate our work. I really don't think he made us that way. And at the end, I said, God bless you. Mm. Nobody complained. People were coming up to me at this company and going, thank you for witnessing. Thank you. So in that moment, it was like, I can witness in a small way. Yeah. You know, in all of my books, the characters have faith. And it's just, I just, I put it in there to say, that's not what the book is about, but that's not separate from this. Yeah. So, and even that, so I think we just have to ask ourselves, how do we go about doing that? Well, and, you know, and I know Ken Blanchard hit it in his book, Lead Like Jesus. If we just lead like he did and love like he did and listen like he did, it's amazing. And I love how you started it. It's amazing what feeding and serving will do. And I've heard you say before, you shouldn't use the term servant leader. A leader right. just should be a servant. Uh, unpack that a little bit. I love that phrase. What would you say? Well, in my book, The Motive, which yep. is really like, and I realized this should have been the first book I ever wrote. It was like a very recent one. It's like, when you become a leader, you should ask yourself, wait a second, am I doing this for what it does for me, the rewards I get, or am I doing it because of I'm responsibility-centered and it's about what I'm doing for others? And and that is a binary like that is like a, a decision tree. And if you're, if, if it's about what's good for me, that's not leadership mm. leadership. There should, we, when people say that guy's a great servant leader, it's like, yeah, that's the only kind. That's right. Serve, saying servant leadership is it is implying that there's a different kind mm. and, and granted in the Silicon Valley, there's very few servant leaders. There just is, but, and, but that's, they're not good leaders. Mm. And the ones that actually, so I think it's, it's time for, to say, everybody's supposed to be a servant leader. By, by the way, I want to, I want to say something else. Yes. I'm very big on this. St. Francis of Assisi never said the words, um, always preach the gospel and when necessary use words. That's not true. Wow. I think, I think this is one of those subversive ways that people try to get Christians to shut up. Mm. And, and, and like Ken said, we have to lead like Jesus. But I really, and I, I believe that we really have to be willing, though, to as, as I said before, to be ready to give an account for where the joy comes from and the hope. So a lot of people say, "Hey, go out and do good things and be like Jesus," but don't talk about it. And that's just not biblical or virtuous. Or now, don't just talk about it and lead with your actions, but don't hide why you're doing what you're doing. That's fantastic. So. That is that is so well said. And I think it applies, it applies to all of us in our different facets and our different arms that we go out into. And I know you're so big on people finding their gifting. You you made this comment. You said, if you want to be successful and fulfilled in your work, you must tap into your gifts. That can't happen if you don't know what those gifts are. Yeah. What does the word gifts mean to you? When you, when you say that, because it really leads into the working genius. What does the word gifts mean to you? Well, I, the great thing about it is, is it, when it comes to humility, which I think is the chief virtue, right? And what's the root of all sin? Pride. That's right. The antidote to pride is, 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 is humility. Jesus was 
in the embodiment of humility and humility was not seen as a virtue before. You know what I mean? It was mm-hmm. like, why would you lower yourself? Why would you turn up? Those were radical statements. You know, we think we don't, we don't realize that now those were radical statements. They were still radical theories, but people say that, but they don't necessarily do it. But so, so getting back to gifts, if somebody gives you a gift, you are meant to do, there's two things that you are meant to do to use it and not to brag about it because it, it's yeah. somebody else gave it to you. So if God made me the world's greatest field goal kicker, I shouldn't, when somebody says you're a great field goal kicker, I shouldn't go, no, no, you know, no. Say, yeah, isn't that, it's so wonderful that I get to do this. And yeah, I can, it seems as though I can kick farther than anybody else. Wow. And I'm never going to brag about it though, because it was a gift mm-hmm. and maybe I stewarded it well, maybe I developed it well, but it was a gift. So just now when you said, Pat, you've written some of the greatest books, I, I, I was initially sitting here going, oh, that makes me uncomfortable. And then I thought, wait a second, God allowed me to That's write right. books That's so and I enjoyed it, but I'm going to celebrate that as though it wasn't even me and, and enjoy it. Somebody once told me that the, uh, the greatest definition of humility or one of them would be to look at a cathedral and say, and take pride in it as though you had built it yourself. Mm. And I, I'm like, Hey, I can celebrate. People love these books that I wrote and I'm not going to make that make me feel any more important or less important than anybody else. It, it's so good. And I remember my mom, when I was growing up, she used to say, there's always somebody in the world better at something than you. Yeah. And she said, you can't do math. I love you. You're well-rounded. That's what she used to always call me, but you're not good <laughs> at math. But there's people out there that are really good at math that have a third grade education, but they can yep. they can figure out how to build a house and they can draw all the corners. And what I love about gifts is they're naturally given to you, but they also take work. People that are gifted, when they find out their giftings, they're able to double down and really get better at what they're naturally gifted at, correct? Absolutely. And and, and that becomes, the, 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 let's talk about the motive of that. Yes. If you realize it's a gift, then you realize I better do the right thing with this. Mm, it's, mm. And isn't it funny, the parable of the talents? And I know the talents is about the coins, but it's our talent too. God gives us that talent. And then what are we going to do with that? Now, if my motive though is to be rich and famous and important, and most young people struggle with that, then I'm going to work really hard to get the chicks. And mm. I say that because I have sons and I'm a yeah. boy. <laughs> like I'm going to become popular at school because of this. But but if you're like, wow, I want to see just how many people I can help serve and and minister to because of these gifts, mm. then it becomes a whole different thing. That's really good. Most achievers, though, have a point in their lives where they go, oh, I was probably doing that for my own benefit for a long time. Now I have to turn around and, and do it for him and for others. So you talk about in the six types of work in genius, sort of the genesis of it. And it was interesting because you came up with the assessment before you wrote the book, which is interesting. I was listening to your podcast the day you released it. I took it. You no gave, way. Oh yeah. Well, it was cheap. I'm cheap. And so you, you put out a real cheap, you put out a real, I think you were on Mark Miller's where I heard it on the story story brand. I believe I can't remember where I heard it, but right, anyways, right. I heard you talk about it. Maybe it was on your podcast. I took it. And then I'm like, okay, what's the book to go with? You hadn't written the book yet, which was a crazy deal. How did that come about that you you did the assessment and then went, okay, this thing has legs to it? Right. So the assessment, came, the, the, the idea came about because I was frustrated in my job working at a company that's about organizational health. I was often frustrated. So I said, what's going on there? Somebody asked me, why are you like that? We figured it It came to me. It, I mean, I, I, I really don't remember exactly how it all developed, but I felt like, thank you, God. Look at those six things up there. Now I know why I was frustrated. Mm. And then we said, I wonder if other people would benefit. So after a few weeks, we said, okay, there's something here. We said, are we going to wait for a year and a half to write a book before this comes out? Are we going to actually develop this and let people benefit from it right away? And we decided to go with the latter because I did not want to sit on this. There's so many people suffering in the world because they're doing the wrong job or they belong at this company, but they need a different seat on the bus and they're getting fired and the manager just needs to realize, no, don't fire them, just change their job. There were so many instances of pain 
And we said, we would rather start alleviating the pain first. Unfortunately, that made it very easy to punt the book because we were so busy. So yeah. the book came out two years after the model. And we're, we're coming up on a half a million people that have taken it. That's and, amazing. Um, and it is so darn fun to read their stories. It, Mike, is, it is so incredible great. to see it. It's inc- the, the lens. And what I like what you did with it, because I'm a disc trainer. So I love disc and disc is oh, yeah. great, but you I have to too. apply it. Right. I mean, there's a, yeah. there's a, you've got to, you've got to have a trainer teach you how to apply it to business and personal and all that stuff. This is a very, it is very work-based and it is who you are. As you look at this now, what would be different about you and your life if you had known this about you 10 years ago? Oh, so much. So much. Well, 10 years ago, but I just think like the first job I got out of college, Mike, I failed at. And it was the best job in America. Like I got the best job in my college, right? It paid more. It was supposed to be sexier and more interesting and high, high end and all these things. And little did I know they were going to ask me to do the two things that are my working frustrations. And so for two years, I beat myself up and thought I'm a fraud. I, I don't work hard enough. Wow. It was only, I was working 65 to 70 hours a week. And I was like, I'm, I, I'm, I can't work hard enough. Maybe I'm not that smart. Had I understood it then I'd have said, Oh, wow. I should do something else that feeds me and that God gave me skills in. So I carried that guilt around for a long time. Wow. 10 years ago at my own company, I would have hired a couple different people, probably helped a few different people move into other jobs or to move out. But because I didn't understand what geniuses were and what all that was, I was probably trying to fit some square pegs and some round holes, including myself. How, how has this been watching your sons? So you got one son at Auburn, one son that's working with you there. How has it been? And two more, two others and, as well. Yeah, two others as well. So what's it been like? to watch them navigate their world and wanting them to see this is how God puts you together. And you don't have to be like me. What's that journey been like for you? Well, I'm going to tell you something. This is a real, I think, a testament to the tool. I didn't know these things about my own sons until we developed the tool. And because you do see them kind of like you or, or like the world does. And then when they take it and they look at it, they go, no, this is me. This is what I love. Now I can go, oh, wait a second. Don't do what the world is telling you to do. Success is not defined by some external objective standard. It's do what God puts you on earth to do. Mm. And my son who's who works with me was was really involved in developing this tool. He could do things that I couldn't and the rest of our team couldn't. And he is the one, I remember one day he did something and I thought, oh, wow, we can do this because he can figure this out. How about that? I had no idea. I'd raised him for 22 years before that. And then I have another son in high school right now. And my expectations of him academically have changed. Not that I have low expectations, but I realize his nature is never to be like tackling that assignment and getting out ahead. He is a gentle supporter, the ultimate team player and helper. And he's motivated not by achieving and breaking down obstacles but by coming alongside others and providing thoughtful support. So whether it's their career or whether it's I expect to them or just enjoy them and allowing them not to be great at everything. That's right. You know, praise God for that. Boy, isn't that the truth? Isn't that the truth? Because when you and I were coming out, so I'll turn 54 this year. So when I'm coming out, you know, I thought I had to be, this and my whole family's business. And I'm the, I'm the, I'm the stray dog who went away and got in what I do. And, you know, I just didn't know what good was. I just knew what I wasn't good at. And I always wanted to be good at the other things. And I would read your books and I'm like, Oh my gosh, I wish I was more forceful at work. I wish I was more. And when you take the working genius and you go through this and you understand it, 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 the more people will do this, I think they can put on a set of lenses to look at their life completely differently. Completely you know, Mike, I love that you said that and that you're a pastor. I want to tell you this, but so we've had a lot of feedback from pastors around, which are people who felt guilty, like I should not have been a pastor because I am not good at X. Yeah. yeah. 
And what I say is a pastor is not a pastor is not a pastor. They're not all the same. But, you know, whenever you're doing a job in a church, the the people are going to hold you up as an example to Jesus, which is an impossible thing. And think, why can't you be good at giving a great homily or a sermon and counseling and directing and doing one-on-one and a large group and speaking? It's like nobody's great at all of that. So many pastors have come and said, Oh my gosh, I I now can allow myself to be mm. who I am. Mm. But here's here's a very I think a spiritual thing. I think one of the greatest benefits of working genius is it allows us to avoid two things that are both there's a place for them, but when they're bad, when they're not appropriate, they're really dangerous and that's guilt and judgment, you that's know. That's good. Now I'm not a person that there's some guilt that's good because it makes us go, hey, I'm not supposed to be doing this. You know, mm-hmm. take guilt. There is a productive guilt. But when you feel guilty about what you're not and you feel like I'm less than and I'm not good enough and, and, and you don't know why, looking at your working genius and celebrating the fact that I don't finish things. And that doesn't give me permission to finish nothing, but I'm allowed to say, oh, yeah, that's why I'm bad at it. It's not a natural thing for me, and I'm going to find others to help me with that. Yep. So guilt is inappropriate when it's guilt for something that God just didn't give you. Judgment, judging others. Now, again, judging behaviors and judging what's good and not good is part of our lives. So I hate when people say the word judgment is bad. Being judgmental and and condemning people is not good, but judging something to be good or better than something else is good. But when we judge others for things that they're not naturally gifted at, because we tend to say like we look at a person and say, gosh, that 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 guy's kind of lazy or she, she just doesn't care about this or man, they're not very smart. And then you look at their working genius and you go, oh, they're smart in a different way. I was judging them, and and it's not appropriate. When you take that kind of guilt and judgment out of an organization or a team or a family, it is liberating. That's right. That's right. And how powerful for a pastor, for a coach, for a leader to look at their team and and understand who they're leading, that you right. love them enough to know the who they are. It's a powerful thing because you break up the you break up the six and you say there's two working geniuses, there's two working competencies, and there's two working frustrations. So break down when you're in your genius, what are you? When you're in your competency, what are you? And when you're in your working, and we all know our working frustrations, when you're in your frustrations, what's it like? Unpack those a little bit. When and the key to this is. Because people are like, well, I'm good at this. I'm good at this. And we always say, no, no, joy and energy. Mm, mm. What This is your working genius. These are the two top ones you have. Where do you get joy and energy? And Because we have people that go, well, I'm really good at this. And we go, do you like that? And they go, no. And, and you know, I love talking about in professional sports. There's professional athletes like Barry Sanders who quit at an early age. That's right. You know what I think the truth is? They really didn't love what they did. Yep. There was a there was a marathon runner named a BB Bakila, I think it was, or somebody who and and when he finally retired, he won the Olympics and all these marathons. And they said, So are you gonna go run for pleasure now? And he goes, No, I'm never gonna run again. And they said, Why not? He goes, I hate running. I ran to make money to get out of poverty. I'm gonna go get fat. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a difference between being good at something and getting joy and energy from it. That's right. And so your working genius is something that you're good at because it feeds you and gives you joy and energy. I say it's the coffee cup, the Yeti mug that you pour hot coffee in, screw the lid on tight, and it's going to stay hot all day long. That's your working genius. Your working competency, which is the middle two, is something that you're, you can do it. It's not a horrible thing for you. It doesn't really feed you, give you joy and energy, but it doesn't crush you either. That's the Mm -hmm. coffee you pour into a cup, put a plastic lid on it. It'll stay warm for a while. Your working frustration is the coffee cup you pour coffee into, and there's a little hole in the bottom of the cup, and it drains right away. It's not going to hold anything. Mm. So your working frustration is the thing that really drains you. Mm. Now, in any job, you're going to have to spend some percentage of your time in your working frustration. You're a parent. you got to do things in your frustration. But if you're spending too much time there, burnout and and self-attack and... And a lot of hopelessness comes into play. You, you find a lot of people that have a job that they that they really don't like, 
And so people say, you need to take a break. You need to work less. But if they're working less doing something they hate, they're not going to get a lot of uh, a lot of any benefit, really. Mm. They're just going to go home and think about why they hate their job. The, the real key is to help somebody get in, do the work that God meant them to do and to minimize, not to eliminate, but to minimize what they're doing in their working frustration and to a certain extent in their working. I mean, if, if I get to go to work and do 60% of my job in my working genius, I'm a pretty happy man. That's right. Right? That's right. And so that's what we need to be doing. And here's the crazy thing. I, I did a podcast uh, uh, just recently, and I, we talked about coaches, football coaches and baseball coaches and basketball coaches. There's different ways to coach. Right. And you look at one football coach, it's like, what, why does he coach? Well, because he's a, he's a, he likes to come up with new ideas and plays. So he's going to also be kind of the offensive coordinator, offensive system designer. And then there's another coach that he loves to keep the trains on the tracks. And he's going to trust her. He's not necessarily creative, but he's like good at, 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 at getting things done and making sure things follow through. And he's a galvanizer and he's going to, and then there's other people that have, there's all different kinds. And if you don't know what you are, you can't know who to hire to put around you. That's exactly right. Because otherwise you're going to define your job based on, I don't know what the generic description of that thing is or whatever you thought. Three awesome coaches are going to go about it in totally different ways. That, I'm and the so working genius will inform that. Gosh, I'm so glad you hit that because there is not a cookie cutter of what a great leader is. There's just nope. not a cookie. I was on the phone today with a with a dad whose son just got married this weekend. He's a pro athlete. And we were talking about his college baseball coach was at the wedding and his pro baseball manager in the MLB. And they make lots and lots of money is at the wedding, hugging his neck, crying. Well, that guy, that manager may not be at every conference giving you the tips on how to build great teams, but he just nurtures and loves comes alongside, connects with kids, kids trust him. And these guys making $30 million a year don't want to leave him because he's their dad. Well, right. that's not what you think a great pro manager would be. It's the craziest thing. Well, right. look at look at Tony Dungy that's versus right. Bill Belichick. Both of them fantastic coaches in their own right, but completely different in how they go about that. Now, I know which one I would rather play for, but I'm not sure. But I also know which one. I mean, and I love Tony Dungy, too, but like Belichick is just he found a way to win. That's right. And so it depends. But the thing is, it's OK to go about it in totally different ways. Mm, mm. But if we have if we don't know what our ways are, it's really tough to do that. Give everybody just a little taste. We'll 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 give a little flyover of each one of the geniuses. Oh, and sure. Then we'll, we'll start landing the plane. Give everybody a little flyover of your six geniuses. Well, I love that you said landing the plane because that's kind of what we talk about. It's like I'm going to I'll explain all six of them as we go from our head up into the clouds down, down, down further until we land the plane and and so and get the work done. Yeah. So the first working genius is called wonder, and it happens at 50,000 feet. And it's the kind of people that like to live up in the clouds and they wonder things. They ask questions. They ponder. They're, they're, they're asking themselves the questions like, and other people. Is this the best it could be? Is there something more here? Is this really the way it should be? Is this? Do our, are our customers happy? Is this game plan going to work? I wonder if we shouldn't be thinking differently about how we handle, ha how we staff the infield. They ask questions. Mm. They wonder mm. out loud. They don't necessarily have the answer, but every new thing starts by somebody wondering. Somebody said to me, why are you, why do you get frustrated at work? And I said, I don't know, but I want to figure it out. That's that so leads good. us to the next dysfunction, which comes down to about 40,000 feet, still up there in the clouds a little bit. And that's invention. The, the gift of invention. I love to come up with new ways to do things out of nothing. I'm born that way. God gave that to me. I've been that way since I was a kid. If somebody gives me a pen and a blank whiteboard and says, go, I'm very, very happy. Mm. If they say no structure, come up with something out of nothing, I actually get energized. I know this is a real genius because I, know, I have friends that say, if you do that for me, I'm going to kill you because I hate that. <laughs> One man's trash is another man's treasure. Absolutely. So invention is the next genius. And it's just one of six. It's not, they're not the most genius. It's just one of six. The next one is discernment. That's the gift of a, a judgment and gut instinct and feel. It's not magic. It's real. It's like pattern record. It's people that are good at curating things and evaluating things. And like, imagine two scouts in baseball. I love this. The D scout 
is like, I know it in my gut when I see it. I watch that kid and I can see the, and it's not like a checklist and a bunch of data and I have to measure his fingers and, and, and time everything out. And, and in sports, we know there's people that just have an, a knack right. for seeing right. the whole picture. Now, that's totally valid. And some people are just great at that. It's not magic. It's real. It's just not analytical, sequential, and data-driven. Mm. So mm. Some people just have great judgment. Like they call plays like, what, why are you going to call that play right now? It's like, I just feel like this is the right time. I think that in the past we've done this and I sense that, you know what I mean? That's, that's really great. That's a great application there. Right. Other people are like, well, I've plotted our plays or on what does the statistics say? You know, watch on, and the statistics say in this case, you have to bunt. And the, the manager's like, no, we're not We're swinging away this time. Why? I don't know. These guys don't seem ready for it. And I think, you know, and you mm. explain it and they're like, I can't tell you all the data. And then the next one is galvanizing. Galvanizing is the people that wake up in the morning and just love to get people going. They like to encourage and they like to provoke and they like to, to inspire and remind. Galvanizers love to get people in a room. And there's a lot of coaches out there that do this naturally. And they love to keep saying, okay, here we go. We're going to do this. Now I know there's professional football coaches. I know who they are very well that don't like doing this, you know, and there's others that do it every time. Mm. Okay. And then the, the next genius is in enablement, the E and that's people that love to come alongside. And when somebody says, I need help, they're the first ones there. What do you need? How do you need me to do it? I live for this stuff. God gave them the natural God given gift. And it's a genius to come alongside others and give them what they need when they need it at that moment. They wake up in the morning and say, man, I would love if somebody called me and said, I need your help. When my wife says, I need your help, I shrink because I don't have this gift. Now I will help her, but I'm like, oh, what is she going to ask me? <laughs> yes, friends, she'll come. I need your help. And they go, I'm coming over. You can tell me what you need when I get there. You know? Oh, that's fantastic. And then the last one is the T, it's tenacity, the gift of tenacity. There are people that love to finish things, love to plow through obstacles, meet the goals, the deadlines, cross the T's, dot the I's, and, and get the, the result that they wanted to get no matter what. Mm. I have none of that. I get halfway through a book and I'm ready to write my next one. Somebody has to take the whip out, you know, tie me to my desk and make me finish. So- I surround myself with people with different gifts, different geniuses. I, I, I now can allow myself to be who I am and I can celebrate who they are and say, you have gifts that I don't have. I love that about you. And I'm terrible at that. Did that used to make you insecure to, for somebody to be that much better at something than you are? You know, I think that not if it was a person that I knew was a, a great person. Okay. But when I thought they were competing against me, like all my favorite people are better than me at things I really like, but mm -hmm. I love them. And so I, 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 I'm, I celebrate that. But if I was on a team where I felt like there was competition, then I would kind of feel the need to defend myself. And so, but now that I have language around this, I can just, now I, it's not about my, just my humility. It's also, I mean, or, or lack thereof, but it's really also about the knowledge of, oh, I don't have to be good at that. So that's, that's, that's very helpful because I think every one of us in our insecure years, when we're strutting and, and blowing our feathers out a little bit, wants to be the best at everything. Oh and my then the gosh. longer we're in it is the old John Maxwell always go back to Maxwell. We become the leadership lid because we're doing things we're not good at. Oh. So, so I would love, I would love your coaching hat. So I took the test working genius, galvanizing enablement, working competency, discernment, tenacity. What would you say is the most important thing for me to have around me to fill in holes? What, what type of person do I need to make sure for our organization to continue to grow and strive ahead? What's most important for a galvanizer enabler to have around them? So you're a, you're the chief encouraging officer. Yeah, that's place. right. I mean, you are like, listen, I want you to see the best in you and I'm going to, be there with you to, to get you there. You know, I want to galvanize you. So I don't want to leave you where you're at. I want you to realize your full potential and I will support you along the path to getting there. That's mm -hmm. your, that's your genius, right? Yep. And then it's interesting. Your, your, your 
your working frustrations are W and I. And I love this because my wife is a WI. So she is what's called the creative um, dreamer. Mm, mm. So like, so if somebody said to you, you know, Mike, I want you to just throw stuff up against the wall and create this amazing idea, but it might not be workable, but it's like, you're, that's not your thing. No. Um, you're, you're like, no, I kind of would like it to be real. And I kind of like to know what I'm going to do. And I want to make sure it's going to work and that we can finish it. Right. So you need to have people around you that know that you value those things, but occasionally you can go do a brainstorming meeting and let somebody live at 50,000 feet. And you can be patient enough to go. I see the value in this. That's right. (laughs) I want to move to the next stages. Yes, there's a place and time for that. Mm, All righty. Really the other good. thing I would say is, well, you you have T is in your. So I would say the biggest thing is new idea generation is not your forte. M- making sure that people keep moving and do the right things and making good decisions and 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 going forward, that's the number one thing. That's fantastic. So realizing that, appreciating the people around you that have some of that. And, and living through that at those times is probably what you need to do. You know, what's so funny, you know, for years, I wanted to be that, thus saith the Lord, the, the Moses that goes up on a mountain and comes down with the tablets and says that this is what we're going to do. And I think what I've learned through the years is I'm much more of a collaborative leader and I enjoy people who are thus saith the Lord people and go, oh, I love that. Let's do it and let's do it together. You know, it's yeah. just funny what you learn about yourself. About the time I figure it out, I'll be done. So, I mean, that's the good part. I'll I'll be on the tail end of it. Well, I think that's how it all works, right? That's Sometimes right. I wonder when we finally get completely humble in life, maybe God's going to go, okay, you're ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> but so we had a pastor with your with your same working frustrations write to us right after they took this. Um, I don't think it was you, but no. but, but they said... They said, Pat, I, I thought there was something wrong with me because I can't go for a walk in the woods and just come up with a great, a great sermon. Mm-hmm. Um, and other people can. And I know some, I know, I know pastors that are the opposite of you. They can come up with a great sermon, but then you go up to talk to them after the, and they're not all that interested in talking to you. That's right. That's exactly right. That is and it's exactly like, right. And so if they came to me, I'd say, hey, I'd like you to focus on these things. I'd like you to surround yourself by people that are good at that. And I'd like you to let people know that you're going to disappoint them when they come up to you because you're just not naturally affable. And it's not because you don't care, but it's just not natural and easy for you. And you're working on it, but you're never going to be great at that. Mm-hmm. Right. But you're the pastor. I mean, you're the, the, your staff loves you. You're, you're inter- interested in their lives. You're encouraging them and all those things and inviting a couple of people in to sit and talk to you and brainstorm about the homily or the sermon that weekend is totally great. That's really good. What's next for you? We're going to have links for Working Genius in our in our show notes because I know everybody's going to want to get off this and go get the book and take the assessment because it is so, so good. What's next? Knowing who you are, you're learning more. The clarity of how God's put you together is getting more clear, and your calling, I think, is getting more clear. What's next for you? I, um, I'm really interested in the concept of wounds. Um, Henry Cloud's a friend of mine, and I know some other. There's a guy named, in Florida named Bob Schutz who wrote a book called "Be Healed," and I'm, I'm, I'm this healing and 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 faith and all this. I see so many leaders, so many people in the world, parents, but leaders who are wounded but don't know it. And I'm not an expert on all that stuff. There's many people that are, but what I realize is I'd like to create a little on ramp that allows people to to quickly understand the difference between a wound and a gift and begin the process of healing. Um, Jesus said, be healed and and don't be afraid. I think those are the two most common things. And I think we're meant in this life to constantly heal, but we can't do it if we don't know what our wounds are. So I'm not, I'm not going to come up with a lot of new, not that I know of any new um, ideas around that, but I, I think the ideas that are necessary, helping people understand it and, and, and begin, take that first small step. Well, if we lead in a negative way out of those wounds, we can it can really hurt our leadership. If we're aware of those wounds, it can really make us incredible as leaders. Wow. And so Absolutely. but if you lead, if you lead wounded and don't recognize it, 
you it really you really do wound a lot of people around you. And so I love that thought. I love that. And I think that's going to resonate with a lot of people. And you know what's interesting, Mike, is sometimes our success is a function of how we dealt with our wounds. So we go, oh, I can't stop doing that now. Like like a lot of people listening to you might have might be able to relate to. I think everyone's an addict to something. I mean, I think that and an achievement addiction is not a small thing. Like, oh, I got to win another championship, or I got to do this again, or I got to prove this. And that doesn't mean that winning is not great fun and everything else. But if it's too closely tied to your identity, because when you were a kid, that's how you got attention, and that's how you justified that you were important or you mattered. Well, there comes a time in life when you got to let that go. Mm-hmm. And we tend to go, oh, no, but that's, you know, that limp I have is what makes me special. And it's like, no, 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 that's a limp. It's not a, it's not a, it's not a feature. It's a, it's a defect. Mm-hmm. And you can let that go and, and actually be better for the right reasons at what you're good at. So that's the kind of thing. And I know your coaches are out there thinking, man, but I get fired if I don't. And it's like, I love when coaches go, yeah, I might get fired. It's not going to change my view of myself. That's right. That's I know a, who I am. That's right. And that's a beautiful place to live in there. When Isn't you it? get to that place, that is a beautiful place. Final question of the day. The Bible says in the book of Acts, and I love this, David served his purpose in his generation. King David served his purpose in his generation, and he went to sleep. He was done. What do you think was the purpose that God wired you for? that maybe he didn't wire anybody else quite like he wired you for this generation and this time? What would you say? I think there's maybe two. I think he wired me to to help people realize that knowledge and intelligence is different than simple wisdom because, because I'm, I, I think that I, I came from a very humble background. I don't have a graduate degree in anything. And I think that I am here to be a translator of complicated things to people and say, you are not, you do not need to be a PhD or go to an Ivy league school in order to understand the most important things. So I think he made me a translator. You know what the other thing is? I think he, I think one of my purposes is to bring Catholics and our non-Catholic Christian brothers and sisters together. Because I know so many people on both sides more than anybody I know. And I love them all. And I see why there's so much in common. And I, so I've been, God has used me in ways to bridge Catholics and, and non-Catholic Christians. The ones that really are looking for the truth, like mm. who know that mm. we're meant to, we need to know that there's truth and we need to adjust to that, you know? And man, that's been a joyful thing. The fact that I get to know Andy Stanley and Craig Rochelle and all these other people, and I know all these amazing bishops and Catholic theologians, and I get to introduce them to one another and see what happens. I mean, I, I have an apostolate that, that serves Catholic churches, and then I work with Andy Stanley's church that he does. That he has a church mission thing, and they <laughs> yeah, go to one so, another's yeah. conferences, and and they're like, this is amazing. And it's it's so fun to see God using me to do that. Wasn't that fun with Pat? Golly. The content is so good, but I'm going to tell you something. The part I couldn't get over is the amazing person he was, the Christ-like spirit that permeated the conversation from the time we connected online till the time we cut off. He was exactly the same. I, I, I I am blown away by getting that opportunity because I have read literally everything the man's put out. And I was a little worried to meet him, hoping I, hoping I wouldn't be let down. Not only was I not let down, I'm a bigger fan than I've ever been. And I am so thankful the world has men like him who are out there making a difference in the spaces and places that they are. Oh, so good. So, so good. Make sure and go to the show notes. We've got links to his book, links to 
the working genius and how you can order it for you and your team. I'm already implementing it with some leaders that I work with. So good. It brought so much clarity to me. I wish I'd have had this 20 years ago when I was navigating this new world. And I spent so many years being frustrated when I could have been working in my genius and my competency. And uh, man, just just absolute gold. Go get the book and go take the assessment. All the links are there in the show notes. It just means the world that you join with me today. And it means the world that you took time out of your schedule to be my guest. You are a blessing. We get to start 2023 in a great way with Jordan Rayner talking about the word before work. He has a passion for Christians in the marketplace. And I pray that you will uh, man, just jump right on as we kick off 2023 together. This is our last episode of 2022. Hard to believe it's over, but 2023 is going to be our best one yet. Let's go be the people that God created us to be in the spaces and places he put us. And I can't wait to be on the journey with you. Share this with a friend and let's go and make a difference. Thank you for listening to the Lynch with a Leader podcast with your host, Mike Lynch. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help more people hear it by subscribing and leaving a review wherever you may be listening. For full episode notes and more spiritual leadership resources, visit MikeLynch.com. 